Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> if you are new, and if this is your first time here, my name is Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. And as always, it's a joy to have you with us this morning. Um, our Sunday gatherings are unique in that we, when we come together, we believe that God uh, manifests His presence in a unique way. And we are confident that your experience here, your time with us here, um, will leave you transformed. Um, before we get into our sermon for today, I've got a brief announcement. Life Explored has been going awesome. I was there last week for their launch, and it was fantastic um, to see people come together in order to discuss faith and spirituality and all those good things. Now, for Life Explored, um, this year we are putting together two important events. This is the first time we're doing them. Um, the first is an equipping night, um, which is going to be on Saturday, September the 30th. And the goal of this is to train and equip our church family um, um, in how to do evangelism. And so that's one. Um, the next day, October 1st, will be evidence night. This is an apologetics night. Um, and this is a night intended for non-believers, for um, people you know that are not Christians that have questions about Christianity. And this is one of the most exciting things about this whole, these two events we're doing. A good friend of mine, Connor Anderson, um, he, is, he is incredible, really sharp. Um, he specializes in apologetics. He's from San Diego now. He's um, he's pastoring up in the Bay Area, right, Ryan? Somewhere like that. Okay. Um, and so that's what he's doing. He's going to come and he's going to do these two nights um, of events. And so note them down, put them in your diary, no, your calendar, um, not your, <laughs> you know what I mean, okay? If you were British, you would know. Um, Put them in your calendar and make sure that you um, attend these events. They will be of great benefit to you, I promise. Okay, that's all I've got. We are in Galatians this morning. And so, um, grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> this week, we're going to be... Um, focusing our time on um, verses 6 through to 10. But what we're going to do, actually, is read from verse 1 through to 10. And so, as always, we want to honor God's Word, and one of the ways we do so is to stand for the reading of it. So if you could do that, that would be great. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1. Verses 1 through to 10 reads, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, 
according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory and be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. We've got some work to do this morning, haven't we? All right, let's pray and let's dive in. God, thank you so much for our time. And thank you for your faithfulness. You are so good to us. Um, to provide us with your Son, Jesus Christ. And in Christ, um, we have all that we need um, to serve and to worship you. And so, God, this morning, you have been and you will continue to speak. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart that is willing to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Last week, we began a series based on the New Testament book called Galatians. Last week, we found out that Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the churches he had started in an ancient region in Asia Minor called Galatia. Uh, Most of you know this, but during Paul's time of ministry, he wrote 13 letters, and he wrote those letters to various churches um, and leaders he mentored. Each letter, if you've ever read Paul's letters, each letter is tailored to its respective church And those letters address specific issues. They offer some guidance, encouragement, clarify theological points, and teach foundational Christian truths. The Apostle Paul is believed to have written um, the letter to the churches in Galatia sometime between AD 48 and AD 55. Scholars can't quite agree when the letter was written exactly, but that's fine. That doesn't matter. But what does matter is that Paul wrote Galatians to address some specific issues they were facing. And the issues they were facing was this, that false teachers um, were spreading a false gospel. And to make matters worse, the Galatians were listening to them. So... If even the churches in Galatia, which were planted by the Apostle Paul himself and led by him, if they could be swayed by a false gospel, how can we as a church make sure the same doesn't happen to us? As a church... In 21st century San Diego, we can look at a church in Galatia and go, oh, they were an ancient church. Um, They don't have access to the information we have. And so 
When it comes to being swayed away from false gospels, we are intelligent. We've got Twitter. We've got ChatGPT. We've got all this information, and there is no way that we could be swayed. But the truth is, it's possible for us to be swayed and to believe and embrace a false gospel. And it's also possible that some of you in this room have embraced a counterfeit gospel, and you've been living by this gospel. And so this morning, how can we avoid drifting into false gospels? How we do that is to be, is to be rooted in the true gospel. And so, what is the true gospel and how can we remain rooted and grounded in the true gospel? First, we can remain rooted in the true gospel by rejecting counterfeit gospels. Counterfeit gospels. The letter to the Galatians begins like most of Paul's letters begin, with a greeting. If you're familiar with Paul's letters you would have noticed that in these greetings, what Paul does is he identifies himself as the author. Um, he also mentions the recipients. And then what he does uh, most of the time, um, his kind of identity and the recipients is followed by a typical early Christian mixing of the Greek and Jewish greetings of grace and peace. And so whenever you see grace and peace, that is a mix of both Greek and Jewish greetings. Most of Paul's letters begin with an introduction, greetings, um, and then obviously they move on um, to, the, to, to the body of the letter. And most of the time, if you've read Paul's letters, um, the body of the letter begins with thanksgiving. And Paul thanks the church for a virtue or a quality of something that he's heard or seen in them. But Galatians is different. Instead of the usual thanksgiving after the greeting, Paul jumps straight into a rebuke. Look at verse 6 again. Look at verse 6. He, he just kicks off. He says, look, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see the word astonished? Underline it, highlight it, circle it, do whatever you need to do. In the original Greek, it's the word thormazo. Thormazo. It can mean being super impressed by something, or it can also mean being seriously distressed and disturbed by something. Here, Paul's definitely leaning into the second meaning. He's distressed and worried. With this opening, what's also interesting is that Paul deviates from the accepted norms of writing at the time. In those days, there was a guy named Quintilian. What a cool name. I love that. Quintilian. Um, he was an expert in classical um, Greek um, classical style and rhetoric, and, and what he would always advise his students, um, he would always advise them to start 
letters with a measured and courteous tone. That was the norm of the day. However, Paul with Galatians chose a different approach, didn't he? Broke away from the traditional etiquette. And so why did Paul choose such an unconventional start to his letter? And what's behind Paul's surprising tone? Let's look at verse 6 again. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Paul is distressed. Paul is disturbed that the church in Galatia are doing what? Are quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. Um, theologian John Stott points out that the verb deserting means to transfer one's allegiance. Historically, um, this term was applied to soldiers who abandoned their posts or, even worse, defected to enemy side. And in the realm of politics, for um, someone to desert, to transfer one's allegiance, um, it's the same as um, having a politician who decides to change parties. In both the army and politics, deserting means breaking trust and leaving behind what you once believed in. In essence, the Galatians are involved in something similar but worse. By deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ, what they're doing is that they're not just changing their beliefs, but they are actually distancing themselves from the God who redeemed them through Christ. That's serious. Scott McKnight, who wrote an awesome commentary on Galatians says this, their move was not just an intellectual one. It was a desertion of God as made known in Christ. It was abandoning, it was the abandoning of their personal relationship with God. Most of the time, and if you've noticed, we don't um, simply turn from something and begin to move aimlessly in a new direction. Most of the time, we turn from something to something else. And so verse 6 doesn't only reveal to us uh, the what the Galatians are turning away from. They're turning away from God, but it also tells us what they're turning to. Look at verse 6 again. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They've turned from God to a different gospel. And so the question is, what is this different gospel? To better understand this gospel, what we need to do is get a fresh understanding of what the gospel actually is. What is the true gospel? And so my question to you is, what do you think the gospel is? If someone was to randomly come up to you on the street and go, tell me what the gospel is, how would you respond? Within his greeting, the Apostle Paul gives the Galatians a brief yet 
pretty, I would say, comprehensive outline of the gospel message. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. This is the gospel in a nutshell by the Apostle Paul. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the gospel. The word gospel comes from the Greek word evangelion, which just means good news. It's that simple. Look, the gospel is good news. And this is what makes Christianity unique. Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity is not tips on how to have a better life. First and foremost, Christianity is an announcement of good news. It's the good news that 2,000 years ago, God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And for 33 years, Jesus Christ lived in perfect obedience to God the Father, and he lived a life that we failed to live. And then he went to the cross, he died the death that we deserved, and on the cross he was treated as if he had lived our sinful life, so that through faith we could be treated as if we had lived his perfect life. And after dying as a substitute in our place, three days later Jesus rose from the dead, And this is the gospel. I've just shared with you the essence of the Christian faith, the incredible, incredible news of the gospel. And what I want to do now is take a moment to speak directly to those of you who may not identify as Christians or haven't made a personal decision to follow Jesus. The gospel isn't just a historical event or a story we tell. It's an invitation. It's God reaching out and asking you to join him in a relationship that transforms your life and offers hope beyond this world. In a world full of temporary solutions, fleeing happiness, this good news offers something profound. The good news of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for each and every one of us in Christ Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The love and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross were for all humanity and that includes you. No matter your past, no matter your doubts, no matter your questions. Today, I want to invite you to seriously ponder and consider the gospel. As I share this, I am taken back to the first time I heard the gospel 
and actually responded to it. Um, I lived, I was, you know, at home. My mum and I and my brother, we lived in an apartment in London. It was late one night, and I decided to push on the TV like you do. And at that time, the Americans had invaded British TV through our satellite platform. And there was a channel, Christian channel. And on that channel, as I turned on the TV, there was this preacher. I'm sure he was from the South. And he was preaching the gospel. And he was telling, just preaching about Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And I heard the gospel. And in that moment, I bowed my knee and I decided to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And I have not looked back ever since. And I have no regrets. And so today I want you to invite you to ponder upon the gospel, to consider a life where you are not just living for the present moment, but for an eternal purpose, to entertain. I want you to seriously entertain the possibility of a life where you are deeply loved and you know it by the creator of the universe, where you're given a new identity as a child of God and where your past mistakes no longer define you. Today, would you, will you consider responding to the gospel, to this message of grace? And so if you are here and there's a tug in your heart, this is what I want you to do. I invite you to talk to someone today. You can come and talk to me or one of our leaders or a friend. Talk to them. Ask questions. Attend Life Explored this evening. Really reckon with what God has done for you in Christ. And I promise if today you make an informed decision to follow Jesus, your life will be transformed and you will receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, this is where I was. All right. <laughs> now we have a grasp on what the true gospel is and what is this different gospel that the Galatians have been turning from God to. Um, and how is it different to the true gospel? First of all, Paul, in verse 7, and says that it's no gospel at all. He's very much like, look, you're turning to a different gospel, and then he's like, actually, there's no other gospel, all right? After Paul mentions in verse 7 that there isn't really another gospel, he goes on to say that there are some who are disturbing or troubling um, the, Gala the, the Christians in Galatia. And, and these same people, he goes on to say, they are wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. This is a direct reference to the Judaizers. Um, the term Judaizer essentially means to um, live according to Jewish customs. Who were the Judaizers? The Judaizers? The Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians within the early Christian community who argued that if you were a new Christian, especially if you weren't originally Jewish, you had to follow some, uh, some, some of the old Jewish rules, the Mosaic law like circumcision. 
And you had to follow them in order to truly be saved and fully belong to the people of God. While the gospel, Paul preached, emphasized faith in Christ alone for salvation, the Judaizers promoted a different gospel by insisting that salvation involved works. They were very much like, look, sure, believe in Jesus, that's awesome, but you also have to follow the works of the law. You have to be circumcised in order to be truly saved and fully belong to the people of God. And when we think about the Judaizers, we have to ask the question of why exactly did they believe this? Honestly, as I've been studying them, I've kind of shifted my view of them. Initially, before I went into a deep study um, these past weeks, I was very much like, oh my gosh, the Judaizers, they, were, they had malicious intent and they were evil and they were demanding these things that were wrong and incorrect. But if you really look at the reasons why they were demanding the Christians to participate in the law for salvation and all of those, this all actually makes a lot of sense. Think about it. God gave the Jews the Mosaic law, and he gave it to them. God gave it to them as a guide for what's right and what's wrong and how to relate to him. Also, if you don't know anything about circumcision, here's some brief information. Circumcision was not just a cultural, I know, I know, I know, just focus, all right? Circumcision for the Jews was not just a cultural practice for them, but a covenant sign. For many Jews, it was a physical mark of being part of God's chosen people. And so because of these reasons and so many others, it makes sense that the Judaizers demanded the non-Jewish Christians to follow some of the old Jewish rules like circumcision in order to be truly saved and belong to the people of God. And I would say because of this intent, they, they didn't have malicious intents. They were just looking at everything going, it makes sense, all right? This is exactly why false gospels and counterfeit gospels are so dangerous. Many counterfeit gospels seem logical on the surface, but if they are embraced, they are incredibly misleading. While the exact motivation of the Judaizers is not spelled out in detail in the New Testament. It's clear from Paul's letters that whatever their intentions, the outcome was a distortion of the true gospel. Their insistence on circumcision and law-breaking for salvation undermined the sufficiency of faith in Christ alone. What Paul battled in his day we witness as well in our day. <laughs> Counterfeit gospels have not gone away. False teachers who promote counterfeit gospels are still alive and well. In today's day and age, 
Christians can sometimes be lured by various forms of counterfeit gospels. Here are just a few prevalent ones. For some of you, you've been deserting God and embracing the counterfeit gospel of the prosperity gospel. You've probably heard about this one. This gospel proposes this, that faith, especially when demonstrated through financial giving, will make you prosperous. In other words, the more money you give, the more loved and cherished you are by God. Some of you, you're like, oh, prosperity gospel is not my thing. Some of you are like number two, the moralistic, therapeutic deism gospel. This term describes a belief system where God is reduced to this distant figure who just wants people to be good and happy. This is a counterfeit gospel because it lacks the theology of sin, it lacks the theology of redemption, and the active work of God in believers' life. If that one's not your gospel, your false gospel, you may be living by the relativistic gospel. This one's that all paths lead to God. In a postmodern age, there's this tendency to believe that all paths lead to God. And that truth is relative. As a result, the unique and exclusive claims of Christianity get distorted with this belief. If that's not the false gospel you are prone to believe in, you may be the social gospel person. You, you know, think about it. Caring for others is a big part of Christianity. But some focus on it so much that they forget about personal growth and change. In this view, the gospel's main goal becomes socio-political change rather than individual salvation. Listen, helping others is an integral part of Christianity. It's awesome. But when the social gospel says that Christianity is only, only about that and forgets the whole personal relationship with God thing, it becomes a false gospel. The next gospel, the next counterfeit gospel, is the self-help gospel. This is self-help with a dash of Jesus, with a hint of Jesus. This counterfeit gospel sees Christianity as primarily a tool for self-improvement rather than as a means of redemption from sin and a relationship with God. What about the cultural Christianity? Some view Christianity as a cultural familial identity rather than a deeply held personal faith. And you'll hear people who adhere to this gospel say things like, look, I'm a Christian because my parents are a Christian. It's more about tradition and less about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a bit like rooting for a sports team just because your parents did. The seventh counterfeit gospel is the Gnostic or secret knowledge gospel. This is a modern twist on an ancient heresy. 
all right? It suggests that there's a secret knowledge or special revelation that one needs beyond the scriptures for true enlightenment or salvation. Number eight false gospel is syncretism. It's the false gospel of mixing and matching beliefs. It's when you mix the teachings of Christianity with other religions or philosophical beliefs and you create this hybrid faith that looks nothing like the, um, the historical Christian orthodoxy. And lastly, and this one might relate to a lot of you here, is the nationalistic gospel. This counterfeit gospel is when people mix up faith with politics or national pride. This results in a gospel that is more about cultural or political dominance than the teachings of Jesus. I wonder what counterfeit gospel you have been entertaining and living by. I wonder. We are all prone to wandering and believing counterfeit gospels. And so now we have identified some of these counterfeit gospels. How do we remain steadfast and rooted in the true gospel. The rest of our passage tells us. And so we've looked at rejecting counterfeit gospels. Next, we'll talk about embracing the true gospel, embracing the true gospel, or delighting in the true gospel. Look at verse 8 and 9. Paul goes on to say, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Misrepresenting the gospel is a grave matter. Paul isn't mincing his words here. He shares a stern warning against those who distort the true gospel. He's saying straight up that if someone, even if it's him, even if it's an angel, tries to alter the gospel in a different way, let that person be what? Accursed. The phrase let him be accursed is translated from the Greek term anathema. This word is used for something, listen to this, something that is devoted to destruction or cursed. Back in the early days of Judaism and Christianity, if someone said you were anathema, it meant you were excommunicated or cut up from your religious community and all of its benefits. But it wasn't just about being socially sidelined. Being anathema had spiritual implications. It was also an indication that you were separated from God's favor. 
And so when Paul uses such intense words, what he's doing is this. He's really driving home how huge and vital the true gospel is. That's why he's using such strong words. He wants to remind us that we shouldn't or should never entertain the distortion or the mingling or the altering of the true gospel. That's why he even repeats himself, you know? He's at verse 9. If anyone preaches anything contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In verse 10, he says exactly the same thing. He wants to drive home the importance of embracing and delighting in the true gospel. The Apostle Paul's pronouncement of anathema on anyone who distorts the true gospel underscores this significant point. It serves as a clear warning for the Galatians not to buy into a twisted gospel. It highlights how vital the true gospel is to Christianity, and it's a strong caution against people like the Judaizers who were sharing a different gospel. In today's fast-paced world, with all of its changes, Paul's words serve as a reminder in the following ways. First, it's a reminder of our need to hold fast to the foundational truths of the gospel. King's Cross Church, we cannot let go of our core beliefs even when there's pressure to change things up. We must stand firm and hold tightly to our historic Christian orthodoxy. Second, in an age of information and a myriad of interpretation, Paul's emphasis on a pure gospel is encouraging us, King's Cross Church, to be discerning. We need to really understand our faith. We need to sift through the noise and be cautious of teachings that might veer away from the central message of the gospel. And lastly, King's Cross Church, we need a consistent, unaltered gospel. We need to recognize that it's crucial for unity of our church. If we start tweaking the gospel and we start beginning to just mess with it, it can lead to divisions. Paul's basically giving us a heads up on how to stay united and centered on the true gospel. That's why he begins this letter this way. That's why he pronounces anathema on anyone who distorts and alters the true gospel. And so we've seen 
that for us to remain rooted in the true gospel, we must reject counterfeit gospels. We must embrace and delight in the true gospel. Lastly, to remain rooted in the true gospel, we must live to please God. Paul concludes this section of his letter with these words. He says, look at verse 10, everyone. Look at verse 10. He says, for I'm now seeking the approval of man. Oh, 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 sorry. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This verse is transitional. It links what's happened before or what he said before to what he's going to be saying. It builds on what has come before, which is an expression of Paul's dedication to the purity and authenticity of the gospel message. In essence, Paul is expressing his desire and his ambition to please Christ, not man. And so by asking, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man, Paul is making it clear that his allegiance is first and foremost to God and the truth of the gospel rather than trying to win favor with people. Think about it. If Paul's primary concern was to please people, he would not be taking such a firm stance against false, the false gospel being promoted in Galatians. In essence, he wouldn't be a true servant of Christ if he were swayed by people's opinions over the truth of the gospel. Paul's goal was not to receive glory from people, his concern was for the glory of Christ, the health of the church, and the destiny of the souls of men and women. Let me say that again. Paul's goal was not to receive glory from people. His concern was for the glory of Christ. His concern was for the health of the church and the destiny of souls of men and women. And so the question I have for you is, what about you? Honestly, like, what about you? Whose approval do you find yourself seeking most often? Man's approval or God's approval? Are you more influenced by the opinion of others or by the teachings and the truth of the gospel? Who do you want to please? Really think about it. Who or what are you living for? For real. Whose approval matters most to you? Athanasius, he was a leader at the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. He argued for the biblical Jesus at a time when doing so was not popular. People said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. People would say to him, and this is how he responded, then I am against the whole world world. Are you a servant of Christ? 
are you a nominal cultural Christian who just identifies as a Christian, but you're actually not living like one? This morning, my exhortation to you is that you would truly adore Jesus Christ. You would embrace and remain rooted in the true gospel. May you recognize and see and experience the grace that he has given you and the death he has endured for you. And may you contend for this message with courage and with the power of the spirit that is yours in Christ. King's Cross Church, we have a unique opportunity to live for Christ in an age where it's becoming increasingly unpopular. It really is. And a lot of you know it. Where you work, where you study, it's becoming increasingly unpopular to be a Christian, to hold on to the gospel. I know this morning has been challenging, but this is God's word. I'm just a messenger. So may you truly embrace and delight in the true gospel. And may you be willing to confess any counterfeit gospels you've been believing and living by. And as you do, may you turn from them to Christ for sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for helping us recognize and understand the existence of counterfeit gospels, not just out there, but in all of our lives. And so God, I pray so we identify these counterfeit gospels. I pray that we would turn to Christ and we would look and see all that he has done for us and that we would glory in Christ and give you praise from now on throughout eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.